South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And it is a beautiful Sunday morning. Not quite as cool as it has been the past couple of Sundays, probably because of the cloud cover, or the last couple of days, rather, probably because of the cloud cover that moved in overnight. It's going to burn off. We're going to have a beautiful day. Maybe some showers tonight. Maybe get some rain, get a little more moisture back in the ground. It uh, just couldn't come at a better time. Seems like it always happens. As soon as soil starts going into drought restrictions, it starts raining a little bit more. So hopefully it'll do that. Hopefully uh, the well levels, although that's a big lie. We'll talk about that sometime. Get back up to where they'll take away the drought restrictions. But anyway, that's a whole other story. What we're talking this morning is all the fun things to do out in the yard, in the garden, all the things it's time to get started on for fall vegetable gardening and fall flowers that's what it's all about we're going to talk to aj yolanda and chris to start things off and aj is up first good morning sir good morning bob how are we faring this morning well you know all the situations have been very controllable so far today and uh i <laughs> yesterday yesterday there were there were a few a few little things like truck drivers that showed up seven hours late and all but the situations this morning have all resolved themselves favorably and uh i'm I'm not quite as relaxed as these two black labs are, but you know it's going to be a very good Sunday. What about your world? Well, so far, so good. It was nice yesterday morning. This morning yes. is not bad either. Uh, so, well, but what, I, what I wanted to ask you, you know, nutgrass with that molasses, is it is it wise to maybe a day or so later after you put that molasses out to water it? You know, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference. I think it's probably actually better to stay on the dry side because nutsedge loves water and drought is what makes your molasses super effective. So uh, unless unless the area just really needs water, I'd put off putting much more moisture on it until you have to. I, I think the dry is going to make the molasses work better to kill that nutsedge. All right, I, I figured maybe to try to wash that molasses down into the ground. That's what I was thinking about. Did, did you, do you use uh, liquid molasses or dry molasses? Uh, feed grade that liquid, yes. Yeah, um, it's, you know, it's it will make its way down into the ground. And it's that very upper level soil where it is most important. If you water it lightly uh, to get it down into the ground, that's fine. But let's don't give it any thorough soaking. Let's don't, uh, you know, let, let's don't really water like we were watering the plants. But yeah, water it enough to feel like you've carried it down into the ground. But uh, we we still want things to be a little dry for the next week or two. All right. Okay. That that ta- that takes care of my situation this morning, Bob. Well, do you need that in writing so when someone else uh, decides to tell you what needs to be done, you can you'll you'll have a written prescription there that says don't 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 water today and uh, you know. How would you know, how would you know something like that? What could happen? <laughs> Well, we 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 don't really need to go too deeply into that situation, but let's say I've just I've heard that's the way it sometimes works out. Bob, and you have a nice day. You keep a smile on your face, and you do the same, AJ. Always good to start the day with you. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Goodbye. All right, Yolanda's up next. Good morning, Yolanda. Hey, good morning, Bob. How are you today? 
I'm off to a good start. Been out there unpacking the boxes that didn't get unpacked yesterday. So uh, wide awake and looking forward to just a beautiful Sunday out there. It's, um, you know, it's starting. It doesn't really feel like fall yet. But by the same mm-hmm. token, it doesn't quite feel like summer anymore. So uh, wow. I love this transition time. I do, too. And you sound just as peppy as ever. <laughs> That's the way I try to live life. Hey. Well, yep. I do have two questions for you. Okay. One is being uh, my son has um, three um, Monterey Oaks okay. that are about three years old. And, you All know, right. they were well established before this freeze came. Mm-hmm. And so one of the Monterey Oaks uh, looked totally dead mm-hmm. from top to bottom. But then maybe, oh, maybe a month ago, uh, right. we saw green stems or branches coming from the bottom. Okay. So does that mean the top is dead and a new uh, tree is starting to develop at the bottom? That probably is exactly what it means. And because these are young trees, I think things are going to work out okay. A really mature tree, I mean, if this tree was 8 or 10 inches across the base, um, it wouldn't be such a good thing because those little sprouts coming out would would not really make a strong trunk. But considering that these are very young trees, what I would suggest that uh, you, you tell him to do is to study it carefully and pick the one one strongest shoot that is coming up and cut all the others away. You want the tree to put 100% of its energy in developing one new, I call it a trunk, the so-called experts call it a central leader, and recognize that for the first few months, that that new shoot coming up is not going to be as strong uh, until it really starts getting developed. So this is one case where I probably would either brace it up or stake it up so that it doesn't get knocked over, broken off, you know, blown over in the wind or whatever so uh, probably for about the next six months i'm going to give it some support but i'm going to cut away all of the all of that bushy growth that's coming out and just select the one strong new growth coming out that i want to make the new trunk so does he cut the top tree that was growing up off he might he might as well he might as well at this point if there's no green coming out it's probably not going to yeah Right. Okay. That's that's really good information. Thank you. Wow. Well, it's Excellent. what I'm here for. What else can I help you with today? Then the uh, next uh, question I had, I went out there to Wild Seeds Farm and bought like a fourth pound of seeds. Uh-huh. And so I uh, told me plant them in the fall. Right. Like in October. That's uh, the month that I like for planting. Yeah, that, that's... And how to, how to do it. And mm-hmm. so I guess my question is, I wanted to make those seed bombs for my grandchildren, four and six. Okay. And so the seed bombs, I'm not too sure. Now, can you just, one woman says use sand, another woman says no, use compost and mud or whatever. So what, what is the, you know, what do you use, the sand, the mud, the compost? <laughs> Well, you need something that you can kind of make a make a 
clump out of. Um, I, I probably would. I would definitely not use sand because sand's just going to fall apart. You know, you can't make a can't make a dirt clot out of sand. Um, and mm-hmm. compost is the same way. I probably would do a mixture of just a good clay soil because that's the kind of thing you can kind of pack into a ball. I'd make a mixture that's about half clay soil and half compost, and that's you know what I would what I would make my seed balls out of. Now, you know, I've heard of people using all sorts of weird stuff like peanut butter and everything else. I don't recommend that because if you use any kind of food stuff, the little rodents and the birds and the things like that, they're going to want to come in and, you know, eat the peanut butter or molasses or whatever you've tried to use to bind it together. And they'll probably eat a lot of the wildflower seeds along with it. So I'm going to use something relatively non-tasty so to speak and that's probably going to be about a 50-50 mix of clay soil and compost mix your uh, seed in with that and if the weather does what it typically does first couple of weeks of October are going to be the perfect time for the kids to get those things out out and distributed so I can go to my backyard and just dig up some dirt yes ma'am and and then put a little bit of compost, I guess, half and half, and yeah, then yeah, and just having have, have enough of the soil that you can make uh, that you can make a, a dirt ball out of it, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. a dirt so clod, whatever, whatever we used to throw at each other when we were kids. It had to stick together a little bit. <laughs> so it's fifty percent the mix, and then the same amount of the seeds, and mix it in. Yeah, I just mix a seed in with okay. that. And as I'm sure they probably told you up at Wild Seed Farm, the most important thing in planting, the wildflower seed needs to make good contact with the soil underneath. So if the places mm-hmm. you're, you're going to put it out are basically, you know, bare dirt or something, uh, just scatter mm-hmm. the seed and water and you're done with it. If there's a lot of leaf litter, if there are twigs, if there are old grass clippings and things like that, take a hard rake and you don't have to bury the seed, but at least rake that layer of what we would call duff off the top of the ground so that when the kids throw their seed balls out, the seed will be in contact with the soil, not with stuff that's piled up on top of the soil. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And do you do you uh, step on the seed bombs? Do you step on them? or Whatever the kids want to do. They can I kick mean, them around. They, the they the whole idea... Yeah, I I would, you know, have them, you know, kind of either throw them out or something. You don't want to concentrate a whole big clump of seed in one small area. So it's best if they would kind of throw them around or kick them around or do something or other to break them up and scatter them around a bit. Oh, okay. That that makes sense. And then you water it for how long? Yes. Well, you're going to want to water. Well, you've got to do a couple of choices. You either... When you start watering, you have to keep watering because once that seed tries to germinate and grow, if we get into a dry period, you've got to supply the moisture or the little seedlings will start to try to grow and then they'll die because they didn't get any water. The other thing Mm -hmm. to do is just ignore it and hope that Mother Nature will come along and give them the moisture they need. Uh, The problem with that is sometimes it gets so dry in the fall that we never get any moisture and consequently the seeds, you know, sit or another year before they sprout and grow. If this is an 
in an area where you can water regularly if we don't get rainfall, then I very mm-hmm. definitely would water because we want that seed, we want a high percentage of that seed to germinate and begin growing because we mm-hmm. want you and the family to have a beautiful wildflower garden next spring. Sure. But just remember, yeah. don't don't start watering unless you can keep watering if uh, the rain doesn't come. Right, so water for a couple of two or three weeks and then hopefully... Some rain will come, and if it doesn't, water it like what, maybe every week or until just, spring? Just pretend like it was a new plant you put out there and adjust your watering according to the rainfall. Just don't ever let it get bone dry, especially when you can look out and you see those little green seedlings start to develop because mm-hmm. you've got a couple of different things that are going to happen. Sometimes the wildflowers, the seed germinates, it grows slowly, and then it blooms. Other types of wildflowers are what we call biennials, and bluebonnets are in this group. They start mm-hmm. out making a little rosette of leaves, and they'll stay in that stage for several months. And then next spring, they go into their second phase of growth, which is producing the upright plant, which is what then produces the flowers. So you're going to see different habits of growth, but once you start oh, okay. seeing that seed start to turn green, once you start seeing little leaves appear out there, um, that's when you need to keep watering. Things like larkspur oh. never ever want to get dry. Blue bonnets can get a little dry, but not real dry. So uh, just treat it like a, like a new garden that you just planted. and. Water, water yeah. thoroughly when you water. When it's dry on the surface, water thoroughly again. Thank you so much, Bob. That's that does. You know, I had no idea it goes through different stages and yeah. well, uh, different you know, plants do. But spring, it'll you know, ho- you know, hopefully produce a flower at some. Point. Yes, they, they certainly should. And thank I you for making so. the world a more beautiful place. You and the kids have fun. Oh, yes, yes. You know, my grandkids are going to be so excited. It's so good that they can see this type of you know, growth and help and doing it is. It really is. It's it's very educational for them. It's lots better lots better than computer games. So uh you get yeah. out and enjoy and you call anytime you have questions. Thank you, Bob. I certainly appreciate all your information. You have a wonderful day. You did the same. Thank you, Yolanda. All right, I right, uh, need to take a quick break here. Uh, Chris will be up next, but I get to talk about Dr. Mark Williamson and Associates. And, uh, you know, it, it's just such a pleasure talking about great people out there. And Mark Williamson is just on my list of great people. He just does things right. He's an outstanding dentist, and he is so broadly trained. In the world of dental health today, so many dentists, they just want to farm you out. If you need a crown, oh, you need to go over here. If you need a root canal, you need to go over there. If you need an implant, you need to go somewhere different. Dr. Mark Williamson can take care of virtually any dental issue that you have right there in his office. That's going to save you a ton of time. It's going to save you money. It's simply going to make life easier. And there in his office is just one of the most welcoming, friendly places that you're ever going to encounter. You're never going to be rushed. He's going to get take the time to figure out exactly what your oral health needs. He's going to get to know you as a person. It's just a different world than the world of corporate dentistry, which is what many offices have become. It's personal, competent, 
quality service in a very, very caring atmosphere. You just have to experience it to know what I'm talking about. And Unfortunately, maybe you've had the opposite experience where you kind of rushed in and rushed out, and you thought, huh, well, gee, what, what happened here? Uh, not going to happen with Dr. Williamson. <laughs> Find out what I'm talking about. Give him a call, 210-341-2569, 341 Your oral health matters. If your oral health is good, it will certainly contribute to your overall health and longevity. So take the time to get it done right and get to know Dr. Mark Williamson and Associates. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a beautiful Sunday morning. Hey, if you have a question, there are a couple of open lines. You know how busy and hard it is to get through a little bit later in the show. Uh, right now, I think there are two lines available. So if you <laughs> something you want to ask about, good time to dial 210-599-5555. Chris and Kamala will be my next two callers, and Chris is first. Good morning, Chris. There's the thing. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. <laughs> Good morning. May all these situations people are having be answered by your expertise. <laughs> well, let's just say may they be resolved with a little help from Mother Nature and knowing what to yes. do. Uh, you know, knowing what to do is the is where it all begins, and uh, beyond that, knowing things. What not to do. That's uh, there. You go. Well, what's going on in your world? Okay, just a real simple question. Uh, my tomatoes. Um, got the stink bugs. If I uh-huh. remember right from what you said, that little long line of junk that's on the tomato stem is are the seeds of the stinky bugs, a little red, and then that get bigger, right? Um, the red not is the seeds, usually not the seeds, but the 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 eggs. Well, it's it's what once they're really obvious in red, those are the little nymphs. Those are the yes, you know. know immature life cycle. But yes, I think that's exactly what you're looking at. Yeah. Okay. Good. So if I just peel that off and crush it, or just peel it off and drop it on the ground or something, it's good. It'll I just tend good. to have the hose in one hand and my thumb and forefinger working it over in the other. Well, yeah, I'm doing that for the little ones, and the uh, the little uh, portable vacuum cleaner sucks as many things up. Like all of a sudden, three weeks ago, none, and now, boom. Yep. Yeah, they are really out. And they're on some of the other plants, too. Anybody that has Pride of Barbados, the same little uh, leaf-footed bug is on them. And it, it's amazing how quickly, once they start, how, uh, how how fast they reproduce and how many of them you get and how much damage they can do. So it's a daily yeah, effort in the in the garden. Yes, it is. Yep. Yes, it is. But the, the, the rewards are worth it. Go ahead. I said the rewards are worth it. Oh, yes, there are. I have uh, been doing lots of tomatoey things. Anyway, the second thing is just an observation. There are not, because of the freeze, there are nowhere near the amount of wasps mm-hmm. that have been around. Oh, those big, stupid red ones now. I yeah. don't know why they came out, and I heard you yesterday on that. But, yeah, today uh, it's like I'm looking up, and the wasp nests are really small or not even existing. I've noticed that all spring. Well, and it's really damaged. 
It's they they got hurt. Um, you know, the wasp wasps don't overwinter as eggs. Wasps overwinter as uh, what we call mated females, and Absolutely. or and so those. And if you've ever you know, if you're doing painting projects or if you have bark coming off a tree or something like that, midwinter you will find those wasps. They're just taking cover in any any place they think is likely to stay warm enough for them to, you know, stay alive through the winter months. And what they expected to happen didn't happen. We of course got so much colder and it very definitely did reduce the uh the wasp population. Now the red wasps by nature are a little more secretive. They don't build their nests out in the open, and uh, I think they must be pretty stupid, unfortunately, because they obviously find their ways to get in around my windows and attic and things like that because about uh, a large number of them forget that they came in from the outside. When they come out in the spring, they wind up in my house. And I've probably, gosh, I've, I've probably killed 15 or 20 of them, uh, my living room, kitchen, bedroom. And But this happens every year, and I live in a house that's over 100 years old, so it's not quite as airtight as... <laughs> yeah, it's uh, but uh, but but your observation is entirely accurate, and uh, you know same thing's true with lizards. Uh, the annals for a long time we didn't have little green annals up in the hill country because we were having just consistently cold winters, and then we moved into a milder period, and all of a sudden we had annals along with our other natives, and then it gets really cold. They're out there, but boy, a fraction of the number. And, um, I, you know, the, that's half of it. The other half of it is, in the case of the wasps as well as other things, is that their normal food supply is not as plentiful as it was. We didn't have nearly as many caterpillars out there this spring, and that's what oh, no, the wasps yeah. feed on. And so with less wasps to begin with, less food for them to eat, um, it's just been a little more wasp-free year. Other than the red ones, I leave them all alone. You know, they'll... If no, so you, yeah, grab them, right step on them. The door. <laughs> yep, unless you're in a place that you're likely to bump into them, uh, they get to stay. The red ones, though, they, uh, they're no friends of mine. They, they uh, can go live in another world. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a situation for a later discussion. Thank you. Yes, sir. sir. You have a good Bye. day, Chris. It's good to talk to you. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Yep. Goodbye. All right, uh, let's talk to Kamala. Good morning, Kamala. Good morning. Good morning. I have some bad news. Um, this is sort of a follow-up call to the code compliance call I had made uh, um, a couple months ago. Right, right. Where you suggested the attractive screens, which I thought uh-huh. was a wonderful idea. I didn't think they'd take it in terms of um, vegetation, but I, I proposed these screens that were also a hoop so I could do... Um, you know, protected gardening underneath mm-hmm. if I wanted to. and But that got turned down, as did everything else. And um, the co-compliance are just not possible to work with. I mean, yeah. I had my, my, my council member was supportive and her staff was working with them. But, but I got, you know, it was, they would tell her something. She would tell me, I would tell her, and then she'd go back to them and then they'd tell them something completely different. So anyhow... They're like um, now saying that they're gonna, gonna, you know, that I make me come into compliance. And the crazy thing was that we were out there because the cycles—they don't understand cycles of nature. And so most of the um, 
all of the annual stuff had had um, run its course, you know, and we were out there mm-hmm. harvesting and 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 um, mulching mower. I bought a mulching mower at Fanix and the electric mm-hmm. ones, and I'll put in a word for those too. Um, with my rebate. So I'm real grateful to your show. But anyway, um, so now I'm trying to transplant a few of the things that I had planted out there. Uh-huh. I, yesterday I transplanted the memorial plant that I had put a coral berry for my mom, and uh-huh. I hope it survives in a bush. Um, but anyway, so I'm wondering about like trees like um, I have a satsuma, and uh jujuba tree um are those can i i mean would it is it going to be worse to try to transplant this time of year especially um well the trees in march or april yeah it's it it would be better if you could wait a month but this is not like doing it in july uh this is um you know this is not a bad time it's not the best time yet but it's not a bad time so uh uh, I would, you know, to get those, I uh, can't use the words I would like to use for them on the air, but let's say that they are such total, and they're, they're bound to be a few good ones out there. I just haven't come across them, but to tell you, we, we put flower beds many, many years shortly after we opened the nursery out along the street. Uh, we got a Beautify San Antonio uh-huh. Award from the mayor and everything. It's still hanging on the wall in my partner's office. This little jerk came out and said, you're going to rip these beds out because they're too close to the street. And we said, sir, we've gotten two certificates of occupancy with those beds in place. I talked to a supervisor. A supervisor said he would take care of it, which he didn't. They actually issued an arrest warrant an arrest warrant for my business partner because uh, our flower beds were too close to the street. So don't oh, get me women too. <laughs> don't get me started on those people. And like I say, there are probably some good ones out there, but that's why they carry guns is because they're generally such big jerks that uh, you know they they're they're afraid of they anyway. Don't get me started on that. I'm sorry you've had the bad experience with them, but no. sounds yeah. like you're moving forward with it. So we'll just. Uh, Try to forget about yesterday and look forward to tomorrow. And you're doing the right things. You've got your seed collected at least. And um, uh, transplant things. Um, and, and fortunately, things haven't been in the ground that long. So they should, uh, um, you know, they should transplant pretty well. I just, uh, the last thing I'll say on that subject is back in those days, we had uh, uh, some very positive city leadership in between uh Howard Peak and uh, Nelson Wolf, we ultimately got things taken care of. <laughs> well, so. I can see a vision for the future where they have to have like conflict resolution training, but then they also have to have either a horticultural degree or a construction degree, or you know, they have to have experience and training in the areas that they're coming after people. That would make and absolutely they have to be able to, yeah. That makes too much sense, Kamala. <laughs> why don't you run for Why don't you run for mayor, and I'll vote for. Well, I can't vote for you because I don't live in San Antonio. But I'm glad you're moving forward. I'm sorry you've had to deal with that kind of issue, but welcome, welcome to the world today, and uh, 
keep me posted and take good care of all those happy chickens I hear in the background. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good, good to talk to you. All right, I need to get a break here so we can uh, keep going with gardening questions. And I get to talk about one of my favorite people that will always lead you in the right direction. And that is Rhonda over at Rhonda's Nature's Way. You know, good health, there just is no substitute for good health. You can have all the money in the world. You can have all the toys in the world. If you don't have good health, it's meaningless. Rhonda has dedicated her life to helping people achieve good health with natural solutions to uh, all of life's little issues. You know, who doesn't have uh, issues with, you know, maybe a little bit of joint pain or maybe sore muscles every now and then? Who hasn't? uh, (laughs) There are a few lucky people out there, but who hadn't needed to lose a few pounds every now and then? Rhonda, Rhonda's Nature's Way is a store that will help you with so many different things to maintain good health. I might mention right now she's doing a special uh, for this month, for the month of September, uh, on a foot bath detox. If you don't know what this is all about, you need to go by and learn sometime. There, There's some natural therapies like light therapy, which they do at both of the locations, like reflexology, which they do at the Northside store. And now they're doing this foot detox, which is can produce just amazing results in actually pulling the toxins out of your body for 25 bucks. That's what the September special is, and they're doing them at both stores. Uh, probably be good to check in and be sure they aren't just backed up uh, with people so you can go right in. It, it only takes a few minutes, but uh, you'll just be amazed, and it's something you will do on a regular basis once you've experienced what it can do for you. And if you're looking for the best in supplements, the best in vitamins, the best in foods that are very diet compliant but still taste very good, so many reasons to go see my friend Rhonda at Rhonda's Nature's Way. Hey, and it's still hot out there. You still need those electrolytes. I hope you will get the Ultima, which is what I use uh, on these hot afternoons when you're sweating a lot. And it's just a powder you mix with uh, your good clean water. Uh, she also has one other thing I'll mention because we talked about wasp stings and scorpion strings earlier. The comfrey that I love, which helps so much with those issues, she actually has it in a tube. It's called Trauma Comfrey Cream, and uh, it's just absolutely amazing what it can do for a lot of different skin issues. Get yourself over to see Rhonda. Not today because they're always closed on Sunday. Southside Store is open Monday through Saturday. Northside Store open Monday through Saturday. Southside's on Southwest Military Drive. Northside in the shopping center at the corner of I-10 and Callahan. See my friends at Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, it's going to be Shirley and Jeanette and Kay. Shirley's up first. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning, good morning. Uh, good morning. I, was going, I, I came by the other day to get some of your fertilizer for the yard. Uh-huh. And I was going to ask Patrick, and I forgot all about it. We have quite a bit of thatch in the yard. Uh-huh. What can I do? It seems like it's maybe clogging up letting uh, moisture go down. Uh, I know you are not a proponent for uh, arrow, whatever you call it. Yeah, it's uh, that, it's a very temporary fix. Well, number one, stay with your organic fertilizers because the reason you get thatch buildup is because uh, using the synthetic fertilizers, you don't you're not encouraging the microbes that naturally break down the thatch. The two things that will. Synthetic in years. 
Well, the very good. Uh, the the two ways to get that broken down, one is molasses, just good old liquid agricultural molasses, uh, rate of about two tablespoons molasses to a gallon of water. Spray that, oh, start out doing it every couple of weeks, and it'll just almost, you'll be surprised how quickly it will dissolve that thatch. The other product that will work really well, and you can use it, uh, in fact, if you want to alternate weeks, uh, Medina makes a product. They make what they call their soil activator, but there's an improved form of that they call Medina Plus. And if I was yeah. facing a, a real thatch issue, I probably would just alternate. I'd use the molasses. Two weeks later, I'd use Medina Plus. Two weeks later, I'd use molasses. And you'll be amazed how quickly that thatch will go away and you'll never see it again. Well, I will come get some. Thank you so much. Thank and it you. does a lot of... It does a lot of other good things at the same time too. So it's uh, it's more than just breaking down thatch and keeping it out. It's uh, it'll build your microbial life in the soil, which is just going to give you healthier plants and softer soil. And uh, it's a good thing to do, and you're a good lady to get out and do it that way. Shirley, get out and have a great Sunday. Thank you. I'm going to try. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're sure welcome. Goodbye. Jeanette is next. Good morning, Jeanette. Good morning, good morning to you. Good morning. How's it going? Ah, so far so good. It's uh, just, you know, nice overcast, not too hot, not too cool, and uh, just a beautiful morning out there. I We had a late truck coming yesterday, so I got in early and just unpacked box after box of beautiful plants, and it's just a nice way to start a day. I know it. And, you know, Mother Nature, I think, she's been a little bit angry with us with all the bad weather we've had <laughs> lately, but... Today, I think she's happy. Somebody's been saying their prayers or paying the preacher or something. Ah, whatever it takes. This week has been just perfect weather for me. You know, I'm and, I'm, I'm a Ava Gardner. And the, and the calendar weather. helps. The oh, calendar God, helps. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Middle September, it's, it'll get better you know from what? here. First, I want to thank you for t- uh, uh, telling me about uh, Sam's uh, uh, organic grown, gr- green grow. Green, yeah, Green Girl Organics, yes. Uh, he is the nicest person you'd ever want to meet, and I always call him Sam I Am Green Eggs and Ham. <laughs> That's what I always call him. <laughs> he just laughs when I say that, but he is very knowledgeable, and uh, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be having him right now every month. So, And also, Rhonda, you know, she is, like you say, I'm giving all these commercials, but anyway, Thank you for all the things that you do for people, and you tell well, people about them. And it's true; it's true. It's, anyway, it's my pleasure, I, and has been for over forty years now. So uh, I appreciate I appreciate the you comments. You're definitely doing the right thing. Um, Good. I have some little mountain laurels coming up, and I don't know whether I should transplant them at this time of the year or wait. It's up to you. Uh, if they are small trees, you can do it any time. You do need to do that while they are small, though. How, how big are these little mountain laurels? I want to say they might be two inches off the ground. Okay. Maybe three. Uh, you've they're got babies, six. They're babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can do them now. You can do them in the spring, whatever works for you. But just what you want to do is just get a good shovel full of dirt and try not to break up that root ball at all. Mount laurels are the most difficult plants to transplant successfully that I have ever encountered. And I've transplanted a lot of plants. And if you break up that root ball around the roots, 
I, the chances of survival are just not good. Even the real professionals, the folks who really should know what they're doing, still probably lose 20 to 30 percent of the plants they transplant. So you're getting started early where you're not really having to dig a big root ball. You can just get one big shovel full of dirt and move Mount Laurel from point A to point B, and you should be pretty much 100 percent successful. I would still water them in with a little Super Thrive or a little bit of Garrett juice and uh, I'd be very surprised if you're not successful with every one you transplant. But do it any time in the next six months. Really, now through next March or April are going to be ideal times. So bear not, uh, bear root, no, right? No, 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 no. Them, yeah, you you want to uh, uh, again at that size. I just use you know what they call a broad shovel. This may be six inches wide, and just mm-hmm. dig, just get that that ball of soil around the roots, and have the, your whole have your whole where you're going to move them already uh. there, and then simply take that little clot of dirt with a plant coming up in the middle of it put it down mm-hmm. fill it around the edges water it in and right. um should take you about five minutes to do a very good job of it all right that's good then so that's exactly what i was going to do but i just wanted your expertise on that well uh, mountain laurels okay esperanza i have some coming up from their babies from their mother mm-hmm. plant Right. And uh, is now a good time to move those, or do I want to wait until... Yes and no. Now is a good time to dig them, but I, the Esperanza, if we get a really cold winter, um, they will not be happy. So at this point, I would probably... Uh, dig them, but put them into containers. Uh, most any nursery has a stack of uh, old empty pots lying around that they would happily give you. I would, uh, I would think about digging those babies and putting them into gallon containers that you can protect through the winter. And that way you don't have to worry about how cold it gets. Let me tell you the one negative about, uh, doing esperanzas from seed though. The, most of the yellow Esperanza that is sold is a really superior form that is called Gold Star Esperanza. I think Greg Grant is the one that found that one and introduced it into cultivation. Most of the ones that are sold are grown from cuttings rather than from seed because the original Esperanzas, many of them, the flower clusters were much smaller. They didn't bloom over as long period of time. And that's why this Gold Star was sort of a game changer as far as having uh, Esperanza that were just absolutely beautiful, every single one of them. When you are growing them from seed, you can get a lot of variation. Some of them may be as good as the parent. Some of them may be better than the parents. And unfortunately, some of them will revert back to the old Esperanzas that had smaller flower clusters and were not nearly as showy. But it's fun growing stuff from seed. And that's the only way we ever get anything new. But what you have to be ready to do, if you grow 10 of them, probably five of them are not going to be as good as the plant they came from. And you just have to be ready to dig those up and discard them because they're going to disappoint you in the long run. And there's no way to tell from the little seedlings. There's no way to tell until they start blooming whether they got the really superior genetics from their parents or whether they, you know, came out on the short end. So growing things from seed is fine, but don't count on every one of those little Esperanza seed things being as good as the parent. Now, when we go to things like Pride of Barbados, when we go to some other 
uh, balsam and things like that, yeah, virtually 100% of those things come true. But the Esperanza, the Gold Star, was such a, such a grand improvement all at one time. Many of the seedlings may be disappointing to you, so be prepared to save the good ones and discard the ones that aren't so good. And by not so good, I mean smaller clusters of flowers, fewer clusters of flowers, and don't start blooming as early in the spring. Those are the characteristics we want to stay away from. Well, I th- uh, these were up here when I when I bought the house, so I think uh-huh. they're the gold star because it's just like one huge, right. beautiful yeah. bouquet. Yeah. And I also have the gold Esperanza or the orange or however you yeah. want to call it. I got it now, from the botanical garden. Yeah, the orange and what. red, those, those seeds will probably come true, and I would encourage you to do, do those. But if it were me and I was wanting to make more, I would do my gold star from cuttings. I would do my orange and red from seed. Okay. Okay. That's good then. Well, I appreciate all the information and you have a wonderful day and keep, keep on keeping. Keep on talking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't plan to do anything different, Jeanette, and I appreciate the comments. Thank you so uh, much. You have a wonderful day now. You do. Goodbye. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. All right. Let me get a break here and uh, Kay will be up next Then we'll move right on through the list. I get to talk about Cedar Eater of Texas. Love talking about the seed eater because once again, people thank me all the time for turning them on to the seed eater. The seed eater, you know, it's just, uh, if you're a rancher, if you have acreage, you know, the cedar eater is somebody you need to know about up in the hill country because cutting that cedar can be a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, they're just a lot of negatives to trying to cut it. And then what are you going to do with it? You don't want to burn it because that's wasting lots of good organic material. And a lot of the times of the year, it's probably not safe. The cedar eater is such a big advancement in cedar control because it's a machine and it's a big, powerful, noisy machine. But it cuts the cedar off at ground level and grinds it into a nice mulch all in one operation. They can do acres and acres in a single day. The rougher the ground, of course, the slower they have to move. And if you've got uh, the trees you want to save, the oaks and elms and escarpment cherries and mountain laurels, well, they'll send in a hand-clearing crew that will cut the cedar that's up tight against those trees, drag it out in the open, and then the machine simply turns that into mulch, too. Your land starts improving the day you get rid of the cedar. Nobody does a faster, better, more environmentally friendly job than the cedar eater does. They offer other services, too. They have a different machine that can take down big trees that might have died in the freeze or dried of doubt died of drought or oak wilt. By the way, there's no danger of spreading oak wilt that way. But they have a machine that'll do that. They have a machine that rips uh, mesquite out of the ground roots and all. You get a lot of good services from one great company. North Texas and a South Texas location, you get to both of them through the same phone number, 210-745-2743. That's 210-745-2743 for the Cedar Eater of Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 5 All right, back to gardening, back to the phone lines. Kay, we're a little short on time, so we'll get started, then hold you through the newscast if we need to. Good morning. Okay, I'll make it quick. I was out in the hayfield yesterday morning, and I have some little bitty wee satch, like a pencil or less, that stalk. Uh And I cut them off at the ground and poured a little diesel on that cut Uh is that sufficient or do i need to put more diesel on there 
You know, on little things that size, I probably would put the equivalent of about half a cup because it's the it's not just getting it on the cut, it's getting it on the roots, especially right around the base of the plant. So um, it, it, it's not something you just paint on. You actually need to, uh, you know, to give it just a, a small amount. But I'd, I'd say if something size of a pencil, it'd be between half a cup and a cup at my place, probably more toward the half a cup size. Okay, well, I was using a measure, measuring cup, but I didn't put that much. So <laughs> I'd, if you can, I'd... I'd well, and if it sprouts up again, you can always go back. It's not as tough right. as, as mesquite. On mesquite, I definitely would go a little heavier. But uh, um, if it sprouts, give it a little bit more. But hope we'll keep our okay. fingers crossed that that'll do the job. And there's about a half a dozen oak trees out there, maybe mm-hmm. two to three feet around the trunk. Yeah. How far do I need to stay away from those with the diesel? I would stay at least as wide as the as the spread of the branches. We can talk more in a second if you like. This okay. is KTSA no, Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, uh, let's get right on back to gardening. It's going to be Kathy and Mark and Heather, and uh, let's just get started. Uh, Kathy's up first. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Bob. I Good morning. Have a, I have a mature fig tree, and no, I really didn't cut it back at all too much at any point in time. We've been here in Aquara for about 14 years, and it's just been Beautiful, producing, and not a problem. Well, the freeze, of course, didn't do much damage, um, so I am now having to go in and trim. I have approximately five uh, large, probably um, eight, nine-inch, uh, what, <laughs> uh, things coming up. And yeah. I, how, how far should I come down? Yes, I do. I did have figs. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the at the top, it was hard to pick, but I right. love them. And I just I'm going in there yesterday, and I'm cutting down the dead. I mean, I'm abs- you know seeing really dead before all the leaves fall mm-hmm. off. How yeah. far can I sh- come down? Um, I mean, this is oh, this is probably 25 years old. I mean, it's it's huge. It's it's green on the top. I see green, mm-hmm. but then I also see dead wood. So I'm wondering how far back can I go? Well, let's talk about a couple of different things. First of all, you might as well get rid of all the dead wood um, that you can. I mean, I, I was looking at my fig, uh, when was the last day off? Last Thursday. And, you know, it, it died back near the ground. Of course, I'm a little colder in Bernie than you are. But, and now it's, as you say, it is sprouting out all over the place. Here's the consideration. When you cut a plant, when you cut back living tissue on a plant, you stimulate new growth. It takes time for that new growth to harden off to where it will be more cold-hardy. So the problem with doing very much pruning on our figs at this time of year is, okay, so it takes them three or four weeks to really start out and putting on, start putting on lots of new growth. Well, by then we're into the middle of October, maybe even into wow. November, and I don't know what to think. You know, my experience, 
in the past has been usually we have a mild summer that follow we have a following winter that's mild as well the old farmer's almanac on the other hand says we're in for another cold winter so believe what you like but there's there's no rush to cut the fig back other than to cosmetically make it look nicer and if it's in the way by all means go ahead and cut it back wherever you need to but save any real heavy pruning for about february or so just before the new growth begins because when we prune it that time of year the new growth is going to be coming out just as we get past the you know typically coldest part of the winter so um, my I guess in a nutshell what I'm saying is you can pretty much prune it back as far as you want to but other than taking out the dead wood which you can do right now I'm not going to be doing major surgery on my new green wood until next spring. This is just not the time of year I'm going to feel comfortable cutting that or many different shrubs and things like that back because they immediately respond with new growth when we cut them this early. And then if we get an early freeze or hard freeze, all that new growth freezes and the plant has to start over. So long answer to a short question. That's the way I approach fig pruning. All right. I appreciate it. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. You do the same, Kay. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye. All right. Kathy is up next. Good morning, Kathy. I'm sorry. That was Kathy. Uh, Move on. Next will be Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, sir. Should I raise the pitch of my voice? (laughs) Like that. <laughs> oh, I don't know. No, I think uh, I think I'll take, take that deep masculine voice anytime. Oh well, I'm glad at least it sounds masculine. It's been a long time since we've visited with you, and it's um, a long time since we've talked. So I'm getting DTs by not having my Bob Webster fix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's going on in the garden? I can help you with today. Okay. Well, Wendy wants to put in a drip system so that she'll feel comfortable leaving her baby plants and all to come visit you guys and, and my grandkids in Austin. And okay. We understand that you sell a pressure compensated uh, drip main line and I'd like to find out a little bit about that because we've been looking for something like that around here and we've actually gone to irrigation places and asked for a temper- uh, pressure compensated uh, main line and they look at us like deer in the headlights, which is kind of strange. <laughs> yeah. The other well, thing we need to know is to find out how to determine what rate emitters to put on the line based on the, either the size of the pot or what we're growing or the in-ground, et cetera. So there you go. Okay. Well, what you're, you're, there are two different types of drip systems, uh, probably more than that, but there are two basic types. One is the one where you put on those little emitters that come off of a main line and you put them on individual plants or baskets or whatever else. The... Pressure compensated drip is what we call inline drip. You're getting a line that has this little emitter every 12 inches, and that emitter puts out uh, nine tenths of a gallon of water per hour. But you don't do any little feeder lines off of it. The line itself is all you need. You don't have anything that comes off of that to clog up. Um, it's made by Rainbird. I'm, you're even seeing some of it in the box stores now, and as, so far as I can tell, it's probably the same material. Uh, we buy it from an irrigation supply company called Longhorn here in San Antonio, and uh, I'm I'm surprised your your stores up there don't know about it. But it's it's just it's a totally different type of drip, 
And there are places where that little spaghetti tubing, if you're putting it on hanging baskets, if you're putting it on pots, you probably are not really going to be using the pressure compensated uh, drip tubing. But if you're putting it in flower beds, uh, here in San Antonio, the city will not allow you to put a sprinkler system uh, between the sidewalk and the street. Uh, you, they're not allowed to put sprinkler heads out there if it's uh, under four feet or something like that. And this is where we first got acquainted with it is uh, one of our sprinkler system companies said, this is what we use out there in lieu of sprinkler heads because it's the only way we can effectively irrigate an area. At that point, I started using it in my vegetable garden. We've used it uh, a bunch of different places. And the beauty of it is, and the reason it's called pressure compensated, is take a soaker hose, for instance. Soaker hoses sound like a great idea and they look real clever, but with the soaker hose, you're probably going to get 80% of the water comes out the first 20% of the hose, so they do not water evenly. Pressure compensated drip, the longest line in my garden is probably 150 feet long, maybe a little bit more, and I have measured and I get exactly the same amount of water out of the last emitter as I do out of the first emitter. And so, where you know where you're doing it on a line of plants, a line of vegetables, a line of flowers. If I'm doing around my fruit trees, I do just sort of a big spiral, just sort of concentric circles round and around. And how far out I go with that depends uh, on how big the tree is. But it's it's a it's a different type of system than the old systems where you have a feed line and then you have that little smaller tubing that comes off you know and and you put emitters in different places the problem in south texas or or at least in the hill country especially is we have so much limestone in the water that those little feed uh those little emitters that come off can sure tend to get clogged up and the first time you know you have a problem is when the plants start looking bad so uh, in my situation, I use pretty much the pressure compensated drip exclusively. But if you are doing individual pots, individual hanging baskets, then you're going to need to go with the old standard drip, which is going to be that, that main line, probably half-inch line. And then you're going to plug in uh, your little smaller emitters. Again, I want an emitter that puts out a fair amount of water over you know a period of time and uh, I quite frankly haven't used enough of the spaghetti lines because I have so much calcium in my water that they plug up within six months of the time I put them out my pressure compensated drip I've got some of it's been out there four years and it still works perfectly so it's just a different type of system but it doesn't solve every need when it comes to automatic watering does that make sense well, it does, and it really clears up a lot of confusion. Wendy, having a little bit of a design background, uh, she likes asymmetry. So uh-huh. her plants are not lined up. Uh, <laughs> she has them scattered all over the place. So sure. we figured that we'd have to have a main supply line and then the spaghetti lines. But uh, we visited a couple of the irrigation places, and, and you know, the more you have on the menu, the more confused I get. And so they added all these things like a half a gallon, one, one and a half, two gallon per minute, per hour. Yeah. Uh, emitters, but yeah. I had no idea how to calculate which ones of those needs to go to each pot or each land planted plant. Well, what I would do is, you know, I would choose one 
one volume and I would use it everywhere. And then I would adjust the time uh, according, uh, obviously, if you have an emitter that puts out, uh, you know, two gallons per hour, um, you're not going to have to run it as long as you're going to have to run one that puts out a half gallon per hour. So I I think you're going to run into a lot of confusion if you try to mix the, the emitter heads on one line. And basically, every plant out there wants to be watered real thoroughly. There's no such thing as too much water. There's too often. But I, rather than than make it too complex, I would just look and say, okay, how long do I want to water? Uh, well, it's convenient for me to set that thing to come on and water for an hour at a time. Then I'm going to choose the emitter that puts out enough water in an hour's time to adequately water my pots. Does that make sense? Well, it makes sense. It's going to be complex, though, because she has so many different sized pots and different, I guess, different water requirements. Uh, throughout the entire backyard that uh, she needs to put the drip system in. But, you know, it's the the one thing about it, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, if if your plants are root-bound, and we're sitting here, I'm looking out the window at hanging baskets, I'm looking at one-gallon containers, five-gallon containers, and 12-gallon containers, but all of those plants dry out at about the same rate. I'm not watering my one-gallon pots more often than I am my 15-gallon pots, because uh, water doesn't evaporate. Water is taken up by the plants and then released through the leaves in this process we call transpiration. So... While you definitely would want to put more water, you know, on a bigger pot, it's anything, any excess amount of water is just going to run through. So don't get, you know, too complex in trying to, uh, uh, you know, trying to use too many different sizes of emitters. What the way I would do it, and this is why I see many of our commercial growers do it, is they will simply put in, let's say, a, 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 five-gallon pot as opposed to a one-gallon pot. They'll put two emitters in the five-gallon pot, put one on each side. And that's going to water much more evenly than just putting one emitter in a big pot and having all your water come out at one place. So rather than have one emitter that puts out twice as much water, um, I'm just going to put two emitters in that pot. Or in a 15-gallon pot, I'm going to put maybe three emitters in that pot, and I'm going to space them around the pot so that I'm not just putting all the water in one spot. And that's going to give you a much better watering job and it's going to keep the roots much happier because if you've got a 15 gallon pot with one emitter in it basically one side of the pot's going to stay wet the other side's going to stay dry no matter how much water you're putting out through that one emitter does that sound reasonable once again brilliant brilliant suggestion thank you for that <laughs> one, one very last question to make my promise are there any kind of filters that we can put on the hose bib to get rid of the stuff that's in the water that would clog the emitters Absolutely. Uh, there is a very simple, very inexpensive little filter. Uh, it's basically a screen filter, and it means you're going to have to check it frequently because um, city water, well, you know, when you, the strainer on your kitchen sink, how often you have to clean that. You're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to clean that regularly. There are, um, and, and again, I, I wish you had as uh, good a company up there as we do at SA Rainmakers, the uh, folks that uh, I rely on here, and they actually have a little 
oh, it's like a little canister that you can that you can mix fertilizer in, and it will put the fertilizer into the line, and it's not based on pressure. The easiest, uh, you know, fertilizer mixers are these uh, siphoning types, but you can't put a lot of back pressure on those, or they stop watering. But there are little uh, there are little things that are based usually on a uh, permeable membrane. Uh, there is a little device that you can put. Uh, in line and then you can just put your fertilizer in there and it will water your plants or it will feed your plants as you water your plants so um there it's it's complex but it's you know when you think it through it's it's not as complicated as you think it is well that's fabulous now i guess the next call is going to be to sa rainmakers for us talk to talk to bill if he's available he can help you with a lot of information there. I don't know that they do the little ones that have the spaghetti tubing, but he can help you with things like filter. He can help you with all kinds of questions, and uh, they are the only sprinkler company in San Antonio that I recommend. They just are, they do the job right every time, and uh, they're happy to answer questions, even if they're not doing a job for you. So uh, if Bill's available, talk to him. Uh, um, and I think you'll be, <laughs> you'll find a great deal of knowledge on the other end of the phone. Well, once again, I'm glad I don't have to pay for this call because you filled me up. Thank you. <laughs> You're certainly welcome, and I appreciate the call. Thank you, Mark. Take care. Bye-bye. You do. Bye. All right. Guess I better take a break here. Heather will be up first when we come back. I get to talk about Medina Agriculture, and of course, that's another company I've I've known for many many years, and uh, certainly not as long as they've been around because they've been around over fifty years, and. Uh, haven't been in the business that long. But uh, Medina, just simply, they're a great company based on quality products, based on natural products, not synthetic products that create stress and burn up uh, the good stuff in the soil. The products that build the soil, which in turn builds a healthier root system, which in turn builds a stronger plant. I love the story Stuart was telling me uh, oh, last time we visited about uh, a corn grower who was using one of their products, the new fish blend that I absolutely love and not only did it turn out to be a good fertilizer but it raised what we call the bricks level the level of the sugar in the sap of the corn to the point that all of a sudden he had fewer insect problems no aphids he saved so much money on not having to spray for the bugs that he basically said his fertilizer was free that's the way you know agriculture should work it shouldn't be creating problems and solving problems it should be providing your plants and your soil with what it needs and avoiding those problems in the first place and that's always been Medina's philosophy. They make great organic fertilizers in pellet form, they make great fertilizers in liquid form, they have products that will soften your soil, they package the best orange oil in the business along with molasses and liquid seaweed. If it says Medina Agriculture on the bag or the bottle, there's quality inside. Look for it at any good nursery that sells organic products. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Heather and John and Jean, and Heather is up first. Good morning, Heather. Hi. um, I I, uh, just have a very simple and quick question. Okay. Um, I have my own little vegetable garden. And I was wondering if it's possible to grow potatoes or sweet potatoes or yams in San Antonio. 
You can grow all of those things beautifully in San Antonio, but this is not the real best time of the year to be doing that. Our regular potatoes, uh, we generally plant in mid-February, and it's, boy, you can grow new potatoes, you can grow big potatoes, you can grow red potatoes, you can grow gold potatoes. Uh, potatoes do extremely well here. The sweet potatoes or yams are a whole different plant. We plant them later in the spring after the soil has warmed. Uh, the other potatoes, February, sweet potatoes, it's going to be April or May before we plant them. Uh, they make a big vine on top of the ground and, of course, potatoes don't ripen. You can harvest them at any size, but uh, you'll grow wonderful tasty just incredible sweet potatoes so uh, the one thing if you're not familiar with growing potatoes with your regular baking potato or new potato pretty much all the potatoes develop right at the base of this plant that comes up uh, in the case of the sweet potato the tubers develop on the roots and those things may develop 10 feet away from where the vine comes up out of the ground so in oh. growing sweet potatoes I use one of these fabric beds I have one that's about 5 feet in diameter and the sides are about 12 inches tall maybe 14 inches tall I grow my sweet potatoes in that because then I don't have to go searching quite as far <laughs> to find oh. where the potatoes are at the end of the season, whereas I grow my other potatoes just in a row. But, uh, you know, you ask if they grow well. They grow very, very well, but uh, fall. Some people will try to get a crop in, planting them in August or September, but uh, if this is your first foray into growing potatoes, I'm going to tell you to wait till spring and do it right. Plan on putting them out uh, in San Antonio area, uh, early to mid-February. The thing about regular potatoes is if you plant them a little too early and they freeze down, they'll come right back out again. So I'm usually pushing the envelope a little bit because I love uh, the way they grow. The other thing about your regular potatoes is that um, you'll have a plant comes up, you know, stands 12 to 18 inches tall, and the potatoes begin growing right at the base of the plant. When they have been in about six weeks or so, you can take your index finger and start probing around in the soil at the base of the plant, and you'll actually feel the little potatoes growing. And when they're golf ball size or so, you can just physically, you know, with your finger, just lift a few of them out out of the soil and that uh, is <clears throat> excuse me that's uh, uh, those are what are get sold as new potatoes and they are just absolutely incredible um, you, you don't want to take every single one of them off but uh, when I have a you know a 30-foot row of uh, potatoes for instance I can go along and you know every day you know go through three or four plants and get new potatoes to eat and then toward the end of their growing season which is going to be about June or so when the top of the plant starts to die back then I'll go back in and dig the whole plant and down at the base I'll have baking sized potatoes now I'm not one to try to have a three pound potato you know like you're gonna find it uh, oh what's the chain that does the stuffed potatoes but anyway uh, -huh. uh so the nice thing about 
growing potatoes is it's not like you have to do everything at one time. You can enjoy little new potatoes and medium-sized potatoes, and then when you finally dig when the plants begin to die, when summer gets here, um, you will have bigger potatoes with stuffer, tougher skins that you can uh, store at least for a while. I, I find that in our warm climate, they don't keep really well. You're not going to harvest potatoes in June and still be eating them next March, uh, but you'll have four or five months of good eating if you grow enough potatoes. Okay, great. Thank you so much. You are certainly welcome, and... Um, as you get more questions, as it gets closer time to do it, call me back and I'll tell you exactly how. You're going to start with something called seed potatoes. You're going to roll the little cut pieces, either, either wood ashes or rock phosphate. So let's plan on talking uh, late January, early February next year, and I'll get you started properly. Thank you so much. You're sure welcome, Heather. Thanks for the call. Goodbye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, uh, next up is John. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. Um, morning, sir. Welcome to, welcome to another chapter in uh, the <laughs> novella de los Rednecks del Rio. <laughs> that's uh, that, that's quite a title there. Quite how how can I help the novella de Redneck del Rio? <laughs> well, when we left each other last time, I I was trying to rally support uh, in this. Uh, after the collapse of the third dam in the sixth dam yeah. valley uh, right. series of electro hydroelectro electric uh, green energy by the way dams mm-hmm. that uh, GBRA doesn't like that because they don't make enough money they have their money coming I'm trying not to be too political Bob but you were political this morning so oh you uh, have to be sometimes you can't avoid it <laughs> okay so let me get to the garden part of it before you throw me off and uh, um, it involves something that you were talking about earlier that I've never seen. I think it, I had a cedar eater down here with uh-huh. some well-meaning, well-meaning people got on the uh, these lots down here coming up from the dam with a track vehicle that had a like a big roller drum on the front, like a, mm-hmm. a post hole digger turned sideways with right. plates coming out of tungsten steel. Yeah. And they started cleaning where the lake had drained, and uh, the aquatic vegetation was choking up everything. And they came up from the river up towards the bank with that thing. And I wasn't involved in this um, in the schematics. Nobody gave me the schematics on this. And mm-hmm. they hit my my uh, uh, cypress tree knees. Mm. With, mm-hmm. with that weed eater, what do I do to repair that? Well, I, 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 the damage is probably not as bad as you fear. Because let's talk about what cypress knees are. And they are an effort for the plant to get oxygen to the root system of the plant when it's standing in water. I mean, you're familiar with what you had there. You've probably seen them in Louisiana where you'd just be out in the middle of a pond. This tree will be standing there growing beautifully. And so the knee is an adapted root uh, for a tree that is basically growing in water. Well, sadly, in your case, there's no water there for this to be a concern. You're 
cypress trees' roots are going to be in soil that's full of oxygen. It's not going to be saturated with water because uh, of improper planting, construction, and maintenance. Uh, you don't have a lake anymore. So, and if you've ever dug up, and of course we have cypress trees here at the nursery, and we deal with the roots because we did not know what we were doing when we opened the nursery 40 years ago. We put black plastic down and put gravel on top of it, which made a very anaerobic situation in the soil, which means our cypress trees have as big a knees as a swamp cypress does. But And occasionally we have to dig a knee out. And what you find is this very small little root that grows over and makes this big old knee and then maybe has another small little root coming out of it. So you haven't lost a high percentage of the portion of the tree, of the portion of the root system that supports the tree. So uh, I doubt that there's really at this point anything that you need to do. Now, if this had happened in March or April, I might suggest thinning out the top of the tree a little bit just to compensate for the transpiration stress, for the stress that uh, it's experiencing when it's losing more water than it can take up. But here we are close to October when the, they're going to be dropping their leaves anyway. The roots are going to continue to grow through the winter months. So other than wishing you could take a pot shot at the idiots that out there not knowing what they're doing, I doubt that they've really hurt your cypress trees that much. So I'm, I'm really not that concerned about this. What was that term that Howard Garrett used? For a group of people that... <laughs> oh, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm going to have to think real hard. Something dissidents. Um, <laughs> and I had a, had, a, had a friend that actually sent me a definition of it. Where Where is that here? I'll, I'll find it momentarily, maybe. But, but uh, I have, I have yeah. forgiven them. I've learned the power of forgiveness, and <laughs> I immediately forgave them, and... Uh, it, it uh, helped me uh, try to find a solution, and I think maybe should we shoot some water over that area be- because of the lake loss, or I would, yeah, I very, I very definitely would be planning on watering now. Um, you know, our, the Mother Nature has been kinder than she often is in. Uh, uh, in that we have gotten some reasonable rains along. We have not been in a prolonged drought, and uh, hopefully we're we're not headed that way. But you know, never trust Texas weather. But I don't. It's it's cognitive dissonance. Uh, dissonance. That's that, that's what it is. Cognitive dissonance finally came to me. But um, you know, water as you normally would. Water as you would if those trees were in your yard. But. Um, uh, if there's any word of warning, if there are other areas that are going to be working, you know, get some pieces of rebar that you can put out there with red flags on them as, you know, kind of uh, indicate there's a minefield here that they should not be not be intruding upon. And um, but I, I, I think that I think the damage is not nearly as bad as you fear, because those knees are absolutely essential to a tree standing in water, but when the water is gone, those knees are not nearly as critical. 10-4. John, I appreciate the call, and uh, we'll, we'll hope that our lives are 
are not filled with quite so much cognitive dissonance as uh, they seem to be in many fields today. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. You know, as they say, even if even a fish wouldn't get in trouble if he kept his mouth shut because uh, there's just an awful lot to talk about today. But I'll leave it to my friends Trey Ware and some of those other guys to point out. So you just get out and have a good Sunday, and uh, we'll look forward to the next visit, sir. Thank you. You bet. I'm looking at my crepe myrtles. Very good. Well, John, I, again, um, I, good luck with dealing with that, but I don't think your cypress trees are suffering nearly as much as you were you're afraid. So let me get a break out of the way here, and Gene will be next, and I get to talk about the tank depot. And again, people thank me all the time for telling them about the Tank Depot because they have such a wide selection of top quality over there. You know, among the organizations that are hard to deal with, sometimes homeowners organizations can be can be a uh, a challenge, shall we say. And, you know, you have the right to collect rainwater, but they do have some say in the tanks that you use. Well, fortunately, the Tank Depot has rainwater catchment tanks that don't even look like standard water tanks. You know, rainwater harvest has become such a good thing and such a good thing to do. Gives you landscape water at basically no charge. Gives you water that you can use at your convenience. You don't have to pay any attention to drought rules. And in uh, if you really want to go to the that length, you can have the best and cleanest drinking water you will ever enjoy with rainwater. But the bottom line is you have to have quality tanks to collect that water. Well, the Tank Depot specializes in top quality at the best prices you will find. And if you're putting in big tanks, they can certainly deliver. They can help you with setup. They're just people that are out there to help you with whatever you need. And it's not just rainwater tanks. It could be chemical storage tanks. It could be a transfer tank for your truck. It could be an open-top tank, a bait tank. If it involves a tank, the place to go shopping is the Tank Depot, where you're always going to get the best quality at the best prices. Online today, go to tank-depot.com. Weekdays, you can go see their San Antonio location right there on Southeast Loop 410, just south of Rigsby Avenue. But the name to remember, the Tank Depot, D-E-P-O-T. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Gene and Charles and Kim, and Gene is up first. Good morning, Gene. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a question that's probably related to our big freeze this past uh, year. We live okay. in East Air County. I uh-huh. have a, about a two-and-a-half-year-old Monterey oak that we planted. It's, mm-hmm. I went out and measured it this morning. It's 15 inches in diameter. Oh, wow. I've, I've noticed that um, the bark has split. Mm-hmm. Um, at the base of the tree, I've got little suckers coming up, and they're they're real odd color. They're almost peach colored. Aha, uh-huh. that's what the new growth looks like. Okay, the foliage on the main tree looks good, but the but the bark is split all the way down to I don't know what that is called, but it's it's smooth on the inside, the core of the tree. Mm-hmm. What should I do? 
At this point, I would do. I would trim the suckers off the base. Now you have you have good growth up on top. You obviously have had some damage, but the fact that your tree has come through the stressful August weather and still looks good tells me that the damage I don't think is uh, really major, and the tree is stressed, and or it wouldn't be having the new growth at the base. But you've got good growth up on top, and that's what you want to. Courage. So I'd be cutting the little sprouts that are coming out at the base. I would fertilize this fall with a good organic fertilizer. If we turn off dry, I would give it a good thorough soak about every three weeks. And beyond that, I, I don't think you can or need to do anything beyond that. Do I need to do any uh, pruning spray or something in that wound where those, the bark has popped off? Definitely no pruning spray. Uh, pruning spray actually slows down healing rather than speeds it up. And uh, the only reason we use pruning paint is to keep the bugs away from wounds. Uh, and uh, Monterey oaks don't get oak wilt, so that's not a concern to begin with. If we had wanted to do something when those splits first appeared, we I would have suggested uh, what Howard Garrett calls just uh, tree goop. And that probably would be a help. But at this point, uh, the tree is already healing itself. You're going to see growing from the sides of the splits, you're going to see a little, oh, a sort of a smooth, round layer of new bark developing. And uh, you may shed some of the bark. I doubt you're really going to shed that much, that much of the bark. But uh, I'm most encouraged that the canopy of the tree itself is still looking good. And we've been through the most stressful part of the summer. Hopefully, I mean, anything's possible in Texas. But uh, at this point, I would say your trees are pretty much uh, out of danger and uh, don't get carried away with what you're doing. Fertilize water okay. and cut those basal shoots off and the tree will take it from there should i fertilize all my trees in the fall every plant in your yeah every plant out there would appreciate uh some good organic fertilizer and if you're going to feed once a year fall is the time to do it now our grass flower shrubs things like that we're probably going to feed a little more often but uh in my opinion everything in the landscape could use a good meal in the fall months of the year okay Thank you. You've been so helpful. And keep me posted. I I truly think that you're beyond the critical point, but keep me posted on how things look. And expect that, you know, even uh, even no freeze or anything else going on. Your Monterey Oak, if you look at it carefully, the new growth usually comes out with that kind of salmon-y, peachy color mixed in with a little bit of darker green. And uh, pretty soon the chlorophyll develops and dominates. But that's not a sign of a problem. That's normal for that type of oak tree. Okay, and I've heard on farm or read in Farmer's Almanac that we might have another bad freeze this coming year. Is that and and farmers, the old Farmer's Almanac is wrong at least twenty to thirty percent of the time, and I'm sure hoping and praying they're wrong this time around. Yeah, me too. Okay, thank you so much. Let, let me tell you one more thing, Gene, and you bring up a real okay. good point. One thing that we can do, and had we done this last year, um, we would not have had the damage. If you plants that 
that we've learned are not as hardy. If we start in the fall, usually in October, spraying those plants with liquid seaweed or better still a mixture of liquid seaweed and molasses just as a foliar spray every two or three weeks, it makes the plants definitely much more cold hardy. We've always known that it would uh, increase cold hardiness by 5 to 10 degrees, but that would have been a lifesaver in a lot of plants. So looking around your yard, including this Monterey oak, um, through the fall, periodically, mix up a little bit of seaweed, molasses, and water and give your trees foliage. You get spraying with that, and it will greatly minimize the chances that you'll have uh, severe damage, even if we do have another cold weather. Well, that's very interesting. Thank you. You're certainly welcome, and thank you okay. for the call this morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bye. Goodbye. All right, uh, let me do a spot for Wild Birds Unlimited, and we'll be back and talk with Charles and Kim. I love Wild Birds Unlimited. It's just one of the neatest stores you will find anywhere. Even if you're not a nature lover, you will enjoy going into Wild Birds Unlimited. They have so many interesting things in there. It's a place where I do a lot of gift shopping because it's just you're going to find something for everybody in the family. And if you're trying to get your kids interested in nature, boy, they've got a lot of different things. If you're a big birder, boy, it's just Mecca for you because they have everything in the way of bird feeders, of bird seed. They even have a product you can put in your hummingbird nectar that will uh, extend the life of it. This time of year when the Hummers aren't quite as active, and you ended up pouring out a bunch of uh, nectar all the time because you do want to keep the nectar fresh. Well, they have something that will extend the life of the nectar now. Wild Birds Unlimited is just, uh, you know, there are lots of uh, Wild Birds Unlimited. There are Wild Birds Unlimited stores all around, but each store carries Wild Birds Unlimited product, and then they do their own independent shopping for the extra things in the gift merchandise they have, and that's what sets one Wild Birds Unlimited store apart from another. Our store out there at the corner of Northwest Military and Hebner has always been the best I have ever seen with all the additional products they bring in, especially the uh, the gift merchandise that they bring in. And let me tell you, you'll never find a more knowledgeable staff than Kyle has assembled out there. People who know birds, who know nature, and who just love helping you. Go see them. They're open seven days a week. They're in the shopping center right there at the corner, Northwest Military and Hebner, on the side facing Northwest Military. Open seven days a week to serve you. And if you ever have questions, phone number is easy to remember. It's 479-BIRD. That's area code 210-479-BIRD for Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Well, let's get right back to gardening in the phone lines, and Charles is up next. Good morning, Charles. Yes, good morning, Bob. Morning, uh, sir. I have a, I have a question. I, about a year ago, I installed about 75 new boxwoods okay. around my home. I eliminated some of the older ones because they were failing. But um, on these new ones, about half of them have undergone stress where some of the leaves turned brown and and some of them have gotten to the point where there's so little left of the boxwood that I just pulled out a bunch of them yesterday. Okay. Um, I, I, water, I water them, I fertilize them. I'm just not sure what's going on with with these boxwoods. I mean, I have a bunch of mature ones at my house also that require absolutely no maintenance. So. Well, and, and that's the whole thing about, you know, how wild, well-developed the root system is. I've got boxwoods in front of my home that are probably 80 years old, and I, gosh, it's probably been two years since I've watered them. But new boxwoods are very, very sensitive as to 
you know, their water needs. And a sprinkler system doesn't do the job. Sprinklers are made to water grass. And I'd say that almost 100% of the time when I see a problem with uh, boxwood in their first two years of growth, it's just that they're not getting water deeply enough to really soak the bottom of the root system um, and uh, it will certainly help to add a little garret juice to add a little bit of super thrive but don't don't rely on your sprinkler system to water newly planted plants and boxwood are one of the most sensitive because they sit there and look great and then if they get a little too dry then they really start going downhill now do you know which variety you planted the old ones you had were almost certainly japanese did you replace with yeah. japanese or these okay Okay. Um, the the other thing, the other problem I see with boxwood is that uh, when they were planted, they were planted in full sun all those years ago, and now it's gotten shadier and shadier. And Japanese boxwood needs as much direct sunlight as it can possibly get. If the area where you're growing your boxwood has gotten shadier, next time uh, look at a different variety. Look at one called Little Jim, G-E-M. Little Jim boxwoods, they don't, they don't grow quite as big but they will tolerate about three times as much shade as your old Japanese would, and I think they're actually a prettier boxwood. So um, I think you can correct this. I And, again, I'd get with the Super Thrive, the Garrett Juice in the near future, increase the duration of your watering, and I think the majority of them are going to come out okay for you. Yeah. Can I can I mention one other thing? Before, of course. Before I, oh, um, so about ten years ago, um, I have two... Um, 150-year-old uh, live oak trees in my front yard. Uh-huh. Uh, dur- during a storm, and I think due to the pool people running over the roots, uh, one morning they just collapsed, and the okay. root systems were just sticking straight up in the air. Okay. So I called Charles, Charles, let me do this. Let me get Don to put you on hold. We can, we can talk some more, but I have to get out right here for news. But we'll be right back here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Let's get back to gardening. I guess Charles couldn't hang on, so uh, now we're going to talk to Kim and Betsy and Romero. And it's uh, Kim to start with. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. Good morning. I have one quick question, and it's regarding perlite. Uh, uh-huh. When you root a cutting in perlite, um, are the roots the same as if you would have rooted that cutting in dirt? Yes. Or in yes. soil? Yes, they are, and that's the reason that I like perlite so much better than water, and it's because your plants then don't go through any transplant shock when you move them from perlite to water. Um, when you, I'm sorry, when you move from perlite to dirt, uh, the big difference, you know, the reason we use perlite is dirt is full of, or maybe we should call it soil, is full of microbes and things whose job is to break down dead organic material in the soil, and we don't want them viewing your cutting that you're trying to root as something that needs to be broken down. Perlite is basically a sterile material. It's actually an oil that's heated up to about 6,000 degrees and it pops like popcorn so it is totally free of any kind of microbes good or bad and this is why you done properly get almost a hundred percent rooting and then when you take out it I mean you can leave things I've got some cuttings in perlite
plant that have been there for six months because I just haven't had a chance to get them potted up into soil. And as long as you put a little fertilizer on them, you could grow indefinitely in perlite. But then when you do transfer them to soil, they go through no shock whatsoever. There's no reason to try to wash away the perlite or anything else. You just uh, take it out and uh, into soil with minimal root damage, and things take off and grow. So uh, great question. Um, okay, and actually you answered the second part because that was how long can I leave it in. I had one more um, question regarding the same thing is how often should I water it? Should I treat it as if it were soil and it gets a knuckle deep water it? No, um, no. See, it, it, once again, let's talk about why or about the importance of uh, the schedule on which we water. Water doesn't hurt anything. Um, you know, if somebody sticks your head in a bucket of water for 10 minutes, the water didn't kill you, the lack of oxygen did. And the only way water hurts things is when it drives the oxygen out of the soil, and plants have to have oxygen to their roots. Now, the top of the plant, of course, uh, takes in carbon dioxide and gives off oxygen. But the root system has to have oxygen in order to survive. Perlite is such a wet or such a loose open material that no matter how wet it stays it's still got plenty of oxygen in it and your commercial growers one of the people that I see on a weekly basis they have a greenhouse that's like 150 by 150 feet with bays in there with these overhead misters that come on about eight times an hour during hot weather so you never have to worry about keeping your perlite too wet moisten it as often as it takes to keep it moist but if you did it every day if you did it four times a day you wouldn't be causing any problem because the problem's not with the water it's the oxygen in the soil and perlite always has plenty of oxygen to those roots all right well thank you very much and you have a wonderful sunday afternoon and you do the same kim appreciate talking to you thank you <laughs> goodbye all right uh betsy's up next good morning betsy uh good morning bob um, good morning i haven't talked to you in a long time um, the I have a very large loquat tree. It must be 25 years old. Okay, um, it's gorgeous, but it is it, and it got it suffered. I'm sure through the freeze, um, right? Because all of the leaves went brown and mm-hmm. slowly dropped off. Um, but it came out. But okay. now the uh, the bark is all coming off. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lower branches are dying, mm-hmm. and I'm um, fear that I am losing it, uh, but one of the pieces, a big piece of bark fell off, and it's got a whole bunch of little holes that are all lined up like maybe a woodpecker did it. I don't know. Well, uh, let's let's talk about your, your loquat in general. Is it putting out new growth at the base? No. Does it have new shoots coming out? Um, what, what has happened is, you know, we, we had horrible damage in February when we got so cold and we, but following that we had a pretty mild spring and up until about a month ago, we had a fairly mild summer and the plants, even many plants that had a lot of damage continued to look okay. August showed up with close to a hundred degree heat and, uh, just you know high stress condition on the plants and a lot of damage suddenly started showing up a lot of things started dying back some plants uh actually i've experienced that and that's what you're seeing on your loquat um Uh 
I I wish it had, and if it starts putting out growth at the base, you know, encourage that because unfortunately we're going to see a lot of big loquats um, where the whole top's going to just die and go away from that stress. But most loquats are putting on a lot of new growth from the base, and of course, since they've got the root system of a mature plant, they're going to regrow much faster than they did the first time around. In your case, it's it's pretty much going to be wait and see you're going to have some limbs that you have to remove completely because they're just dead Uh, you're going to have some areas that are going to lose bark but you will have new bark developed underneath Uh, the little holes that are in there that's strictly incidental that's not causing any more damage that's probably things that were already there and there's just the, the the only thing that you can do that is really likely to help is just when you think about it pick up your hose and just spray up and down the the uh, existing limbs and things of the tree because where you have live bark, the plant will absorb a great deal of moisture directly through that and it won't be as stressed because right now we've got a top of a plant that's losing water faster than you know the damaged portions can translocate it from root to top and uh, if we can you know help them a little bit if we can keep them from dehydrating then they're going to be more of what's there is going to survive and uh you know the areas that are coming out will come out even stronger but other than other than a good fertilizer at this point we're just going to have to watch it and see what nature does i'm i'm very glad if we had had a hot summer more typical summer that plant probably would have died completely along with lots of uh trees and a lot of other shrubs and things like that it's just that the hot august weather reminded us that those plants uh while they're still green they're not healthy and vigorous and totally beautiful once again so thank goodness we're moving into a cooler less stressful period of time and your loquat should continue to put on some new growth and while you're going to lose a few limbs you should have enough left that it will come out and make a pretty plant once again what about pouring super thrive around the roots um super thrive will help anything as will garret juice um but don't just uh put over the root zone mix some super thrive in the water or spraying on the top of the plant as best you can because that's probably going to help it more than anything you're doing you're doing through the root system okay you you and en- you entered another question in my mind what is garret juice garret juice is a well, it's not an exact formula. It's a concept, so to speak, that Howard Garrett, who's you know my guest uh, for a while on Saturday mornings every week, and he's the guy that's called the Dirt Doctor up in Dallas. He came up with doing a combination of uh, apple cider vinegar, a little bit of compost tea, a little bit of molasses, a little bit of uh, liquid fish, and came up. It's just sort of a tonic, is is what it is. And if you go to if Go to dirtdoctor.com. Um, you will see his general formula. But different people add different things to it. It is actually sold in a pre-packaged form, actually three different ways. There's a Garrett juice, uh, basic Garrett juice. Then there's one that he adds a few more things to that they call Garrett juice plus. And then there's one that they even add mycorrhizal fungi to that they call Garrett juice pro. But it's just, it's, it's a tonic that's a combination of different things. 
but uh, it's it, you know if you if you look at the way it's described, it's just sort of general guidelines, and you adjust it to your own situation. In this case, you might just uh, add some Super Thrive to your Garrett Juice mixture. In this case, probably liquid seaweed's going to be. Um, one of the more important things you add, the liquid fish seems to help plants that are really stressed. Um, apple cider vinegar, you'll probably use a little bit less, but it seems to be almost like a catalyst that makes other things work better. So uh, look at DirtDoctor.com and just, just bring up uh, Garrett Juice, and you'll get a much better explanation. Than, well, than, than because I've, of yeah. you, I bought a big jug of it, and I, I don't know what to do with it. Well, think of it as sort of a vitamin tonic. It's not the basic food, but it's a great supplement that provides a lot of things that general fertilizers don't have okay thank you thank you so much you're certainly welcome betsy thank you for the call (laughs) goodbye all right romero let me get a a break in here and uh you will be up next uh don we've got recorders now so let's run them and get back to gardening south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Give me Romero and Jamie and uh, Janie and Ronnie and Romero is up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are what you? What is sir? I'm good. How are you today? Fine, thank you. Good. Uh, I have a question regarding some. I have some four acres of land that's pretty, pretty densely. Uh, there's a lot of vege- vegetation on it. Okay. And uh, I uh, hired, I'm about to hire someone to clear it out. And I was told I needed a uh, city permit uh, since it's inside the city limits. Okay. Uh, I was told that uh, by the city that some of these hackberries and we thatch and um, mesquite uh, are protected. Is that, is, does that make sense to you? Does it make sense or is it the law? <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense, but it, um, they, you know, it's hard to create a rule that fits everybody. And, uh, in the early days, I tried to work with them on a couple of their committees and I simply couldn't convince them that a live oak was a better tree than a hackberry. And I don't think anybody's convinced them yet. All they look at is the size of the tree. And unfortunately, um, you will probably have to get an arborist and and do shop around because uh, they, the prices do vary very widely. Uh, but you'll have to get someone to, in effect, do a tree survey and you know figure out exactly what is present on that property uh, you may have the skills to do that yourself but basically you'll have to create a plat of that four acres and you'll have to locate and and i'm not sure what their what their size requirements are but every every tree that has bigger than a certain trunk diameter you'll have to have it located accurately shown where it is on that property and basically you have to show them that you're going to save a reasonable amount of the vegetation which is i mean that's that's not a a bad thing now 
um, it gets real complicated and uh, that they they'll let a builder go in there and just bulldoze the whole thing but then they will make the builder you know agree to replant certain trees in certain areas or if they can't plant them on the property the builder has to agree to plant them in a park or in a qualified area so uh, it's it's just one of the penalties of living in in the city these days. And uh, but but do look around for an arborist and do get some prices up front. See how much of it you can do yourself. And basically, you know, their their rules will say that you have to leave trees that are bigger than a certain diameter above a certain number of trees. But um, he mentioned I, twelve inches in diameter. Okay. Then in that case, that's all you really have to focus on. And again, that's so stupid because I think a four-inch live oak is is a much more uh, worthwhile tree than a sixteen-inch hackberry or something like that. But they have they haven't uh, learned to think about all these things quite yet. So it all starts with tree survey. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, these hackberries. These these are the ones that grow. All over the place, right? Like along the fence mm-hmm. line and so forth. That it's mm-hmm. hard to control. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I've I've had a lot of issues in in my current property where I live in, where every strong wind that comes along, it it knocks them down. It's it's, it's a risk hazard, if you ask me. I certainly agree, and I would take notes and perhaps even take pictures uh, when you complete this tree survey. You you want to do an analysis of healthy trees versus trees that are structurally not good, and I can't tell you how far you'll get with them, but you ought to be able to say um, this tree is not structurally sound, and it should not, you know, I should not be required to leave it uh we you know again it it's it's not a perfect system but the blasted government is the government and they're going to force you to comply by it i i think that uh you can probably find somebody reasonable and if you have a reputable arborist say this tree is not in good health they will let you take it out anyway but uh again since i don't live in san antonio and since i don't you know since we're not landscapers uh in our business i don't know all the rules and regulations and uh uh, but it uh, again just realize that. If, go ahead. If I may also ask you, um, is it a good idea to shred all these trees that I do remove, uh, or to haul them out? Uh, all that shredding does does that affect the soil from all these trees? What What is your long term plan for this property, Romero? What do you want to do with it? Uh, long term would be uh, to build homes. Okay. Um, yes, then I would most definitely leave the... It, it's much better to shred than to send it off to the le- landfill where they're going to shred it and then sell it back to people. Uh, rather than pay somebody to haul it off, I would certainly shred it on site. And uh, yes, uh, that mulch on the ground will suppress weeds, will um, cut down on a lot of other issues uh, that, that you could have. So, yes, it is a very valuable mulch. It'd be, it also uh, prevents uh, water erosion? 
uh, it will help to some extent. If the property slopes very steeply, you may still have uh, you may still have some uh, things you need to do to cut down on erosion. But uh, mulch is a great thing to help hold the soil in place and to encourage the roots of the other plants that are left behind. Those are what are really going to hold the soil in place, and mulch will help to keep those roots healthier and help to reduce any erosion potential. Okay, Bob. Okay, well, I appreciate that information. Yeah. First, you, so you know, much. first of all, just just find out exactly what their rules are. Uh, find out who, how much of it you can do yourself, because you sound like somebody that's, uh, you know, pretty sharp, and you can probably accomplish a lot of this without paying somebody else to do it. But you're probably also going to need some professional guidance along the way. And uh, do shop around. The city does have an arborist, and that arborist can probably provide you with. With a list of people you can interview as far as helping you with your tree survey. Okay, Bob. Thank you so much. I appreciate you're that. you're certainly welcome. Good luck with it, Romero. Goodbye. All right, uh, you're certainly welcome. Thank you. Yeah, and um, uh, somebody like the master Na- master gardeners, master naturalists, some of those folks, maybe garden volunteers of South Texas, they may have some folks there who can also are qualified to help you and can save you some money in that regard too. All right, let's move along. Uh, Janie is next up. Good morning, Janie. Morning, Bob. Good morning. Haven't heard your voice for a few weeks. I hope you're doing well. I know, I know. I've got a question. I bought from y'all this liquid, uh, what is it called, for uh, to make the dirt soft. What is it called yeah. now? Either Soil Activator or Medina Plus, yes. Okay, what I want to know can I use, uh, I bought one for the yard and one for to put around the plants. Can I use the one for the yard around the plants instead of using it in the yard? Well, now, if it is the soil activator, you certainly can. But if it's the fertilizer, if it is what is called has to grow, uh, then no. The has to grow for the lawn has to be used on the lawn only. And the has to grow plant goes on other things. But those are actual fertilizers. The things that soften the soil are called either Medina Plus, which is just an improved version of Medina Soil Activator. And those products can be used anywhere. But the actual fertilizer that will say has to grow lawn or has to grow plant, uh, you don't use the lawn on the other plants. It's just a little too strong. I accidentally used it on tomato plants one time, and the results were not good. So I can tell you, no, save the lawn for the lawn only. It works great on grass, but it's just simply too strong for other plants. Okay, I think I'm saying the wrong thing. It's a molasses that I'm talking about. Oh, no, the molasses can go on anything. Molasses okay, can go so on all plants. Yard, I can use it around my plants, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, I got another question. I've got a yellow rose, and I like to get some more from that rose. Okay. And I like to cut some uh, uh, trimming off of it and, mm-hmm. and try to see if I can get some more yellow roses. My yes. problem is, can I do it right now? Well, it it would be better to do it in October, but if you're going to prune your roses, that's a good thing to do right now. So, yes, you can do it right now, but then I might do some more in October because you'll have a higher percentage of them root well. What you want to do is keep your cuttings pretty short, about three or four inches long. Take off any buds or blooms. Take off the lower leaves, and these are cuttings you're going to root in perlite. You can take a pot. You can take a tree. 
tray. You can put several cuttings in one pot, but uh, you're going to fill your, your pot or your tray with perlite and wet it down. You're going to take your cuttings, and you're going to soak those in liquid seaweed or soak them in some garret juice for about 30 minutes or so. Then you're going to stick them down about an inch deep in your perlite. Keep them moist. Keep them bright, but no direct sunlight, and you should have about 60 to 80 percent of them will take root, and you'll have new plants. It'll be exactly the same as that beautiful mother plant that they came from. Okay. Why not? Should I put them in the sun or in the shade? In the shade. It needs to be bright, but no direct sunlight. It should be in a shady area. Okay. That's my whole problem, but I couldn't make up my mind if it should be in the sun <laughs> or in the shade. Well, I'm glad you asked, and they'll do much better for you in the shade. And keep that perlite moist. I mean, you can water it every day. You can water it three times a day. You do not have to worry about keeping it too moist. Those cuttings okay. will love having a little moisture on them every time you think about it. Well, I don't have any of that orange, uh, the ones you were talking about, uh, carrot juice or anything. Will oh, they still you, grow without all, any of that? Well, they will grow, but they will grow better. If I were going to buy, you know, any one thing, it would either be, well, it would either be the liquid seaweed, which is useful for a lot of things, or the garret juice. Both of those are comparatively inexpensive, and uh, okay. uh, you might have a friend that has some, and you're just going to put a couple of ounces in a quart of water to soak your cutting so it doesn't take very much. All right, then that's what I have to go get then. I thank you again, Bob. Oh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Janie. You have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday, and thank you for calling this morning. Goodbye. All right, Ronnie, hang on a second. We're going to let Don run a couple of commercials here, and we'll be right back and talk with you here on KTSA. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening. Boy, this show has flown by. Lots of good questions, lots of good things to talk about on a good Sunday. Remember, it is time to get started with your fall vegetable garden. There are a lot of things you can start planting out there now and getting the soil ready in places for the things that it's not quite time for. If you're looking for flowers that will go on into the fall, even through cold weather, starting to see petunias and dianthus or two I'm seeing now. Probably going to be a couple of weeks on snapdragons, but uh, don't put up with a drab yard there's so many fun things you can do out there and one of the many things we talk about we're going to talk to ronnie and judy and joe and ronnie is up first good morning ronnie good morning bob morning sir i've got a couple of questions and one the the main one is about um ruth byron's uh, evergreen sumac right i have one in my landscape that's about 10 years old um, uh-huh it's probably about eight foot by five foot, uh-huh. and it uh, is planted on a slight slope. And mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, it started looking like it was going downhill, right? About the time that the rains kind of stopped, and uh-huh. it was getting punier and punier. And, you know, the hotter it got, the worse it looked. And now the leaves are still pretty hanging on there, but the leaves are totally desiccated and they are brown not mm-hmm. no green and no reddish or anything do you think that's because of the extreme cold we had no i doubt it very much um 
Uh, and it's interesting you mentioned that. That's a plant that grows wild on my ranch, and I've spent a good deal of time the past week because some guys from Parks and Wildlife want to come out and look at some things that I've done on the property. And, and it grows wild all over the place. And I, I had damage to mountain laurels, but I've probably looked at 100 evergreen sumacs, and I've not seen a single one showing any sign of winter damage. So uh, I doubt that it's I doubt that it's cold. Is this a plant that you planted was it on the property where did this plant come from originally uh i i planted it okay i would uh, my concern is that it is buried too deeply and you know what happens over time when you've got that moist soil around a trunk that is not uh, filled with lignans and superins and things that that protect it from the moisture Long term, you know, it just it starts deteriorating, and unfortunately, by the time you really start seeing the damage, sometimes it's hard to reverse. The things that would help, I'm going to tell you to, you know, get down and pull that soil back until you can actually see where the where the trunk flares out. I mean, it's just as important on an evergreen sumac as it is on a live oak. Uh, secondly reduce your watering to practically nothing now i probably would give it one treatment with super thrive i've seen that bring back plants that i thought were totally dead um but you really want to keep it on the dry side is it normally watered by a sprinkler system have you watered it by hand how does it get its water i don't water it at all i get close to some mountain laurels and i treat it basically like a mountain laurel well i'm really surprised that you're having a problem because it is usually a very very trouble-free plant the only other possibility and um, uh, this occurs periodically you will get a rodent of some sort whether a rat or a squirrel decides to you know start chewing on the bark for whatever reason they they do like evergreen sumac and i would look down at the base of the plant and see if there's bark peeled away if there's bark missing um and you know see if it's girdle it this happens then this certainly could have happened last winter because uh the cold brought out the worst in the little rodents that uh are around and they they nibbled and chewed on a lot of things caused a lot of damage and a lot of that damage didn't show up until just the past couple of months as the weather got a little bit more stressed so i would look down at the base and see if you see any damage to the bark unfortunately at this late date there's not a whole lot you can do about it the um spraying misting over the limbs will give them some chance of coming back out again super thrive like i say is the best product i've ever found for reviving a plant that is in stress for any reason but um beyond that i I, i'm just not real sure what to tell you because uh, evergreen sumac is typically one of our hardiest plants and excessive moisture uh, is the general is the reason that most of them go downhill people people take too good care of them but you're treating like a mountain laurel and if your mountain laurels are happy your evergreen sumac should be happy which 
just leads me to believe that there must be some sort of physical damage going on, and it could either be from being planted too deeply or from rodent damage to the lower part of the trunk. So get out and look around and uh, dig down around the base of the plant, take a look at the lower part of the trunk, and uh, get back with me and let me know what you find, and I'll see if there's anything else I can suggest. Okay, the the, the part about uh, animal damage might, be possible. I didn't really get down on all fours and look closely, but there was some uh, animal scat uh, really close to it. It looked yep. like uh, maybe possum or raccoon, but um, mm-hmm. regardless, I'll, I'll have to take a look at that. Do take a look at that, and um, because uh, again, something something has happened to the lower trunk or to the roots for the for the plant to just start going downhill like that and um see if you can find see see what damage you further damage you may be able to find but uh use the super thrive and uh let's see if we can't get some new growth coming back out on it because they really are an excellent plant they uh uh and and like i say i I've probably looked at over 100 of them in the past week or 10 days, and I've not seen any sign of winter damage on them. So it's got to be something else. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll have to try that. And my second question is about uh, an Easter lily. Mm-hmm. They form these little uh, shoots down low on the, on the stem. It looks like a corm of some sort. Yeah. Uh-huh. Are those something you can plant and yes. grow into a bulb? You can if you're very patient. It's going to take about four years for them to get up to be the size that they would bloom. But yes, they are. Uh, they are little offshoots that it does produce, and yes, they can be. Uh, they can be grown onto mature plants. Okay. Well, mine has a whole bunch on it, and the stem is about to go away. So yeah, I was thinking about it. You know, harvesting them and then putting them in a pot someplace <laughs> off to the side. You could you could do that, but it's going to be a long wait and a lot of effort. Uh, we're we're not in prime country for growing that kind of bulb, but uh, if you're looking for a challenge, uh, that you certainly can do it. Well, I've, I've told you before that I have a lot of patience. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. Uh, yeah, it's uh, just just be careful what all you take on. It's one of my one of my sayings, which has become very true of my life lately. Is uh, you know, I know the good Lord wouldn't give me any more than I can handle. I just wish He didn't trust me so much, because <laughs> there sure are a lot of fun things to get involved in. That just somehow there's not enough not enough hours in the day to do it all. So pick and choose the project projects that you'll get the most pleasure from, and uh, let me know how it works out for you, Ronnie. Okay. Thanks a lot, Bob. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Uh, let me check. Uh, let's take one more. I know I tell you what, we better get this break in here and then we'll talk to Judy and Joe and we'll be right back. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. Saved all my birthday money up. Put it down on a rotten reel. Got my green and tan plane all loaded up, permission to fish behind the old song. Mama said, Watch your snakes, daddy said, Shut the gate. Brother said, The biting on the zoom, black and red flake. Laying in the bed that night, I swear I could barely sleep. Cause all I ever wanted to be. 
I tell you, another good song, Don. And those of y'all that are new to the show, uh, the weekends at Mr. Don Cooper Stevens is my engineer. We uh, we get a fishing song for the last commercial break of the Sunday show. Of course, you can hear Don's good work uh, every weekday afternoon. Uh, he, of course, uh, does uh, the afternoon show, afternoon drive, and uh, that's uh, that's all the good sounds you hear beyond, behind Jack Riccardi. This is the guy that's responsible for it, and I'm just lucky to get him every other weekend here and get to get to hear a, a song about a hobby that I think more people should uh, participate in. Let's get back to the phone lines, and uh, we'll talk to Judy and Joe, and then see if we have time for more. Judy is up first. Good morning, Judy. Hey, Bob, I am in desperate need of help. The fireheads are trying to kill me. Uh, there are lots of them out there right now. The downside of good rains. Right, but um, every time I go in the backyard, no matter where I stand, I get stung, not just where I see the mounds, but just mm-hmm. everywhere. So how in the world do I treat the whole yard? You get this product, which is called Come and Get It. Um, okay. deal, deal with a good nursery or somewhere that, you know, sells a good deal of it because you want it to be pretty fresh. You don't want it to have been sitting on somebody's shelves for a long time. But come and okay. get it is a bait. And the way that you use it, you do not, even if you know where the mounds are, you don't disturb them because it is, it's a very safe, uh, insecticide on there. It's spinosad, which is safe for people, safe for pets. In fact, a different form of it we actually give to our dogs for flea control in an oral form. So not anything much safer, but they put it on a bait that fire ants absolutely love, but you want the fire ant to find it. You don't want him to know that you're associated with it in any way but if they find it they say hey this is so special we're going to take it back and feed it to the queen rather than eat it ourselves and so they take it back the queen gets fed the queen dies and then the whole mound dies out now if you have you know this big a problem with them you may have to treat a couple of times but that one bag is going to do several thousand square feet so you don't doesn't take a lot of it and uh, you don't put it out super heavily you just scatter it around i like to do it either early in the morning or late in the evening and uh, when the ants are active and it takes up to a week or so at least that's what the bag says i find that it usually works much faster than that and that's the best way i know of to control the ants you know where you're not real sure where the mound is where you know where the mound is we drench them with uh Oh, something like mound drench or with orange oil, but where they just seem to be everywhere, and that's they're just out foraging. You know, the weather certainly turned nicer for ants as well as for people, and they're foraging pretty widely. So I think you come and get it is your best bet. The other thing that you can do that I recommend for any landscape is periodically spray with liquid molasses. Uh, put about two tablespoons per gallon of water, and just as a general spray, it is good for everything out there. It will break down the thatch in your lawn. It will stimulate all sorts of good microbial activity in your soil and on your plants, and the fire ants hate molasses. It won't kill them, but it will drive them away. And uh, I know my business partner had a real problem with, uh, she didn't really have a lawn, but she has uh, 
uh, a pretty, well, not a pretty, an absolutely gorgeous uh, garden right in front of her house, flower garden, and uh, periodically she will get a, a fire ant issue, mainly when she hasn't been good about putting out the molasses. When you put out the molasses and in a small area, you can buy it as what they call dry molasses, which you just scatter out by hand. Uh, it's a little less expensive to use liquid molasses and just spray, but if you spray molasses around periodically, you won't ever have the uh, fire ants in there to begin with well that's good to know all right so i will just um scatter the come and get it around the whole yard mm-hmm. and then i do see several fire ant mounds and so what's the orange oil that i put on those do i mix it with vinegar or what? no no you mix it with water you put about wow. two ounces to a gallon of water and uh, add a little bit of molasses to that and then just use that to drench the mounds. But do do your come and get it first. Uh, do okay. your come and get it and then wait three or four days and then go after the individual mounds where you see them. If you don't want to do any mixing, you can also get a product from Nature's Creation, which is called Mound Drench. It's actually based on uh, rosemary oil and uh, peppermint oil rather than on orange oil. And with that, all you do is mix it with water and then go drench the mound, and it's a very effective killer too. But if you want to make, okay. if you want something that goes a little bit further, uh, get your own orange oil to make your own fire ant killer with it. Yeah, I've already got the orange oil for yeah. the for the weed killer, so I'll yeah. use that. Yeah, it'll work Fantastic. real well. Fantastic. Well, I hope I get some relief soon. <laughs> I'm quite sure you will, Judy. You call me and let me know how it does for you. Thank you so much, Bob. You're certainly welcome. Thanks for the call. All right, we'll finish up the show today with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Hey, good morning, Bob. Follow-up question on what she just said. Is the come and get it, is it it, uh, pet-friendly? Uh, it is very pet friendly. It is. Uh, it it really doesn't harm much of anything out there, other than certain insects. And like I say, what what they do with the come and get it, they're just putting it on a selective bait, and that bait is attractive primarily to uh, harvester ants and fire ants. Now, I don't kill the harvester ants because I live on acreage, and uh, those things are an important part of the food chain for a lot of reptiles and birds and other things, but. Um, yes, it is. It is very, very friendly. It's actually based on a soil bacteria, and uh, it's not going to hurt birds or pets or people or lizards or birds or anything else like that. So it's very, very safe. Okay, two other questions, real quick. Is uh, I've got a sprinkler system, and I turn it on about eight thirty at night, and I let it run through all twelve zones of waters and yard. Is that okay. good for my yard or bad for my yard? Well, the thing about wet foliage at night, um, fungal fungus diseases uh, reproduce by spores. The number of fungal spores in the air goes up very much at night, much more so than during the day. If a fungus spore lands on a dry leaf, nothing happens. If a fungus spore lands in a drop of water on a leaf, it can germinate, it can penetrate the leaf, and uh, and you know cause problems. Uh, I'm not going to tell you it's you know absolutely horrible because obviously it rains at night periodically but if you 
you have grass that is susceptible to brown patch or if you've had issues with black spot, if, if fungal problems are, you know, in your yard, then it would be best to leave, not to leave the foliage wet at night. So I, I can't really recommend that you, you know, that you water at night if you're fighting fungus issues. Now, one thing you can do if you say, well, the night's the only time I can only, only time I can water, get in the habit of spraying periodically with garlic. Um, garlic stimulates so many good fungi that you can literally get such a colony of good fungus on the leaves of your plants that there's no room for the bad guys to get started. So that is one preventive type of thing you can do. And you may just have plants, you may have such a good uh, balance of life in your yard that fungal dis- leaf, leaf spotting fungal diseases aren't an issue. But that's really the only downside of watering at night. Okay. And then I got some like uh, blackjack oaks, I guess you will. This at the other. Is okay. it too late in the season to trim them back, or or when do you recommend doing that? Or? Again, on a deciduous oak, I like doing it in the winter months, just because when the leaves are off, I can see what I'm doing a little bit better. Uh, there's never really a bad time to. Uh, to prune you know blackjacks in the white oak group so it doesn't get uh, oak wilt you never it's one tree you don't ever want to prune it super heavily it does not like to have a high percentage of its foliage removed at any one time so if this is a time that you need to trim it go ahead and do it otherwise put it off until the leaves drop i got you i got you and uh is it too late to fertilize one last time the yard it is never too late to fertilize with organic products. We do it 365 days a year. Organic products do not create that burst of free susceptible growth that your synthetic products do. In fact, they'll actually make your, your plants more cold hardy. And because they're in the nutrient is what we call a cation stage, a state, it uh, binds to the soil. So even if the plants aren't ready to use it right now, it doesn't wash away. It doesn't go away. Uh, I mean, literally. 365 days a year we can put out the good organic fertilizer so <laughs> short answer to the question is yes fine to do it now the long answer is what i just told you which is why it's fine to do it now so you get out and enjoy joe have a wonderful sunday and call me when you have more questions i appreciate it sir you have a great day thank you i appreciate you thank you sir